This is a tragic story. I've got to just kind of start with that. This story right here, I've been pondering all week. And Mark, Mark is, uh, his account of this is found in two other Gospels. We'll mention that in just a little bit. But most of the personal conversations that Christ had with people ended great. I mean, they're, they left healed. They, they left with an answered uh, request. Um, but it's rare that someone that comes to the Lord Jesus Christ leaves the way he did. And it's just a tragedy. It's just unfortunate. And I look at this and I think, why couldn't this man leave with his life changed? Why couldn't he leave having been helped? And this presents a very interesting similarity to what happens in churches across our, our land today. And I believe in Bible-believing churches, there sits people, and I fear this, that hear the gospel, they come with the right questions, they perhaps even grow up in a Christian home. Uh, they have been in Sunday school. They learn uh, the same Bible stories as someone else has learned. And yet, in un- no uncertain terms, they, they, they have absolutely no changed life. There's nothing that has changed in their heart and their life. They did not meet the Lord Jesus Christ. They may know about him, but they do not know him. Now, as you know here, as I get into this, this, this particular story is mentioned in Matthew. It's also mentioned in the book of Luke. And each one gives a slightly different um, insight to the rich man. And there's a reason why that is. And uh, and when you look at this, uh, it really reveals a real problem that could exist inside the body of Christ. It reveals an issue that can happen inside a church like ours. Looking out at a full building today and people sitting here. And without exception, we're not going to be the exception. There is here this morning perhaps someone that has heard about Jesus uh, they've learned about Christ. They've actually probably memorized verses and they look like a Christian. They act like a Christian. They may have all the morals, but if they were to die, they are not saved. And uh, they're going to split hell wide open. Say, Pastor, that's such a harsh thing to say. Let me remind you that the Lord Jesus Christ uh, gave the reality of tares or wheat uh, or wheat, weeds among the wheat. Uh, tear would be a weed. And we many times do very well growing weeds in our backyard. I don't know about you. They just we have to do very little to grow a weed. They just grow up. They just come up and they're green. And uh, but they're they're worthless. But grass is hard to grow. Grass is hard to germinate. I just put some in uh, a couple of days ago and maybe the rain will hit it and germinate. And you know how it is. Some of you are green thumbs and I don't have any of that. However, they're difficult to grow. But when you look at the, the comparison that the Lord Jesus Christ makes, he says, inside wheat, there's weeds. He said, don't take the weeds out. Don't take the tares out. You'll hurt the wheat. It'll come out in the day of judgment. So and you look at a congregation of people, there are people that are lost that are sitting with people that are saved. And uh, there's a day of judgment coming. And uh, there is no doubt the possibility of goats uh, being amongst the sheep, or Judas's amongst the twelve. Uh, or as i got to say it this way in Matthew 7, where it says, Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven. And then he goes on to say, uh, when they profess, Hey, we've done a lot of wonderful things. They'll say in to me that day, Lord, here's what they said, Have we not prophesied in thy name? What does that mean? Have we we preached in your name? So whatever's going to happen in the future, there's going to be preachers 
They're going to say, wait, I, I preached for you. Haven't we uh, cast out many devils in thy name and in thy name done many wonderful works? So there's three major, if you would, defenses that lost people are going to, religious lost people are going to make to the Lord Jesus Christ. And his response in Matthew chapter 7, that ought to shake you to the core, in verse number 23, then will I profess unto them, I never, don't tell me about your religious experience unless you met Jesus Christ. Here's what he's going to say to them. I never knew you. I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. Ladies and gentlemen, this is a very troubling verse there. There exists the possibility that inside a body, inside a church, there could be lost people that are leaving lost. They're not changed. They haven't been changed. They're religious, but they've never been saved. And so it is possible to know the Bible. It is possible to even serve. It is possible to preach. It is possible to do many wonderful works and not be saved. So, when I look at this, this is a concerning passage of Scripture. Because this particular person in Mark chapter 10, if you have your Bible, go there quickly. It is in the book of Matthew. It's also found in the book of Luke. And it's very interesting when you study all of them, you start to get a profile of who this guy is. Uh, You'll find here all three of the accounts refer to him as a rich man. Okay, So he's a wealthy man. We know that. Okay, All three of them say that. But he's also, according to Matthew's account, Matthew chapter 19, verse 22, it is mentioned as being a young man. Okay? So in addition to his wealth, he's young. And in addition to him being youthful, according to Luke's account, he is a ruler. Luke 18, 18 says uh, he is a ruler. And so here, that's what we call this man a rich, young ruler. So this man, okay, is coming to the Lord Jesus Christ. He's got money, he's got youth, and he's got power, or he's got some influence over something, whether it's a synagogue or some type of civil leadership. This man is, uh, if you would, uh, a very uh, successful, on human standards, a very successful man. So back to his youth, very interesting about his youth. We know he's young because he's told, uh, told that he's young, But can I just say this to our youth today? There is no better time to serve the Lord than when you're young. Amen. I appreciated the youth uh, last week. We asked you to come and pray. And uh, and I think they all ran down the aisle and prayed for a soul to get saved. And praise God, Trey came to know Christ as Savior last week. And it's a wonderful thing for a young person to give their life to the Lord Jesus Christ. And to surrender to the calling of the Lord Jesus Christ. In fact, Ecclesiastes 12, 1 says, remember the creator, not, now, remember now in the days of thy youth, thy creator. So, and just watch that verse. I'll say it. Remember now thy creator in the days of thy youth. Thank you for helping me out. Okay. Why is that? Because the Bible says in the same verse, while the evil days come not. Do you realize, young people, that when you're young, you, you, you have more energy? Amen? You, you, you say things that you typically, you typically wouldn't say when you're older. Okay? You can put your foot in your mouth. But God can use that. God can use that energy. God, God can use that zeal. Uh, but when you get a little older, you get a little age, you get a little tired, the evil days come. 
Uh, someone told me, and it's repeated over and over again for, for some reason, I think it's because it's a reality, that growing old is not for sissies. Okay, it is a hard time. Your health is not what it used to be. Uh, you're lonelier than you used to be. You don't have the energy that you used to have. Uh, you have medical is- issues, medical expenses. And, and people say that often they have to go back to the hospital. They have to go back to another test. They have to get this operation. They have to get this taken out. Why is that? They're evil days. And the Bible says you better serve God. Remember God, God thy creator, in the days of your youth. Why? Because there's going to be some evil days that are coming. It's going to be much more difficult later than it is when you're younger. And so that's what Ecclesiastes 12.1. So when you look at this... And you look at this man, uh, he is a man that's young. And as young people, listen, don't waste your life. Don't waste your life on this life. Amen. Amen. Give your life to the Lord Jesus Christ. Serve thy creator. Love your creator while you're young. Some of the most incredible characters in the Bible are young people. Youth. Praise God. Someone said, don't burn the candle for the devil and then blow the smoke of a wasted life in the face of God someday. Wow. I'll say it again. Don't burn the candle for the devil and then blow the smoke of a wasted life in the face of God someday. Wow. I read that quote. It says a powerful quote. And so young people understand there's a there's a lot of verses, a lot of admonition for you to to serve God while you're young. So this guy's young. This guy's young. So he has youth. He has also, very interestingly, wealth. Infer, in fact, verse 22 infers uh, that he had great possessions. According to this passage and the other two passages of Scripture that deal with this particular man, uh, this man had money. He had great possessions. So he had some barns full of stuff. Okay? Nothing wrong with stuff, as long as the stuff doesn't have you. This man had money, he had, he had money, he had, he had wealth. And, and the problem with money is that, uh, that it, can, it can grab a hold of you. The things and cares of this life, can, the Bible says, can choke you, choke the word of God. And so there's nothing wrong with money. Money works on its own principles, but it's the love of money that is the root of all evil. It's the want, the love, I've got to have another dollar. So this man had not only youth, but he had money. And then he had some morality because he, he said, I've, I've, I've done pretty good. If you're telling me that these Ten Commandments, I've, I, he uses the word, I've observed these from my youth. Now, I'm just going to question that a little bit right there because he had to go through a teenage years. Are you all here? When you're a teenager, there's some things you just do as a teenager. You say, why did I do that? Uh, was it Mark Twain that says uh, when, when they turn 13, put them in a box? Okay. And when they turn 14... Uh, cut a hole in it, turn 14, cover the hole, okay? You just, when you're young, you do things that you're not necessarily proud of doing. And so I have a, I have a real problem with the response that he gives to the Lord. I've, I've already done that. I've, I've honored my father and my mother. I've kept the law. I've observed these from my youth. But in addition to him being wealthy, in addition to him being youthful, in addition to him being, if you would, in his own standards, moral, this man's a ruler, a leader, possibly in the synagogue, maybe in the civil government, under Rome, clean cut, industrious, moral. This, listen, this guy on his profile page on Facebook would be like a good catch. 
You, you, some, you mothers were like, man, this guy's good. Good looking. He's moral. Look at him. Look at his profile. He doesn't have a bunch of issues. Are you all here? But he does. And so he's coming to him, uh, and he's also carrying something. It's very interesting, in spite of all that's going on for him. By the world standards, he is a top-notch guy. By the world standards, a great catch. But in spite of all that, he had something that wasn't satisfied. This, he found that the youth could not satisfy this, if you would, spiritual itch. He knew something was wrong. He knew that money had not fixed it. Youth had not fixed it. His money had left him feeling, and really, if you can say it this way, unfulfilled. And his morality, his clean living, his religious activities, everything that he was doing did not satisfy the deepest longing of his heart. He did not have peace with God. And he knew it. He knew he didn't have eternal life. And I want, he said, I want that. And so maybe if you're here this morning, there are people in this room the same shape. On the outward appearance, boy, you look good. You're smiling. You're in church. You're in a padded pew. You may even have a Bible uh, that you've carried in here this morning. You perhaps got it on your cell phone. It looks good from the outside. Life is good and have some money. And you climb up the social ladder and maybe you're well known in the community. Maybe you're a good person. It's lived a clean and moral life. And maybe you're a church member. You're a teacher, whatever it is. In spite of all that, there's something missing and you know it. And you know it. You know that something is not right. And everything looks good. If your husband doesn't know, your wife doesn't know, the church... Family doesn't know, but God looks at that heart every week, every day, and says, you're not saved. You're not saved. So this man comes to the Lord Jesus Christ. I want you to note here in verse 17, very interesting thought here is the, how he comes. In verse 17, and when he was gone forth into the way, there came one what? Y'all look at that. Where he, they came, he came running. I'll say this. I look at this. Just from the outside looking in, he's not only coming to the right person. The only one that can help him with this unsatisfied need in his life is the Lord Jesus Christ. But he comes to the right person. And I think as you look at this, he's coming the right way. He's running. I would say, as you look at that, this is not something he wants to put off. This is not something that he wants to schedule in some other time. He is trying to get to the Lord Jesus Christ. So it carries the idea that this guy is in a full sprint. He's trying to get to the Lord Jesus Christ, catch up to the Lord Jesus Christ. And it goes into a good proverb in verse uh, chapter, in Acts 27, verse number one, where it says, boast, boast not thyself of tomorrow. What does that mean? Y'all not to get all excited about tomorrow. Should we make plans? Absolutely. But we shouldn't get too excited about tomorrow because the Bible says, for thou knowest not what a day may bring forth. We have no idea how this day may end. We boast on tomorrow. So this man says, you know what? I don't know if I have eternal life. I better run to this new Messiah or this new rabbi in town. I better get to him. He may have an answer for me. So he's running to him. There's people in Finley, Ohio. This will be their last day on earth. 
They, they don't know it. They woke up this morning. They're watching the morning news. They're out there doing their lawn work. They're planting the garden. They're out there on the zero turn. Beautiful, cloudy, misty, cold, rainy sometimes, snowy sometimes, day to day. But they're out doing the yard work anyway because that's what we do in April, right? And yet the flowers that will be on their casket are in full bloom in a couple of days. That's why the Bible's very clear that God will say, Thou fool, this night thou sh- thy soul shall be required of thee. So, nothing wrong with the way he came. He, he came to the Lord Jesus Christ. He came to the right person. He came the right way. It was urgent. It was urgent. I'm running. Then he says here in verse 10, actually verse 17, uh, it says that he kneeled to him. He's kneeling down. It shows he recognized the fact that Jesus is, is worthy. Now, I don't know if this man, this, this rich young ruler, understands who Christ is fully, but I think he understands that he is worthy to be kneeled down to. And that's what he's doing here. It's the right posture. And I believe this, when you come to the Lord Jesus Christ... For salvation, there needs to be a brokenness. This, this, this idea that we just come to the cosmic buddy. And we just come as if there's, he has no problem with our sin. He has no problem with our condition before a holy God. And we just come with our, our, our gum-chewing, bubble-popping attitude. And we don't realize that we need a holy God because we are undone. We're depraved. And there needs to be an understanding that he is holy. There needs to be an understanding that you are not worthy for salvation. That's why the Bible says, humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God. It's a very powerful, powerful place to assume humility before a holy God. That's what he's doing here. He is coming in sense kneeling. He's coming for the right purpose. This man came because he perhaps heard about Jesus. He heard about what he was and what he claimed to be. In fact, it says, and asked him, good master, question, what shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? He had the most important question on his heart. The most important question that he could possibly ask is what happens. Now, listen, that's a very surprising question to even ask from one that is young, because when you're young, you don't think about eternity much. After all, you know, you're 20 years old. When you're 30, you're over the hill. And when you're 40, you're like off the cliff. But when you're 20 and 25 and 30 and mid-30s, you're like, yeah, I don't need to think about eternity. So the surprising question here is that this boy is thinking about something that is well beyond his years. He's thinking about eternity. He's want, wanting eternal life. The man, in the complicated youth, he had money. Money has a way of masking spiritual needs. Okay, we call it retail therapy. We all do it. Okay, you get a little down, you go on Facebook Marketplace. <laughs> and you try to find something you can't live without. Some of you, I'm hitting you. I'm hitting myself here. Okay. All right. And you, or you go to... Cabela's, or you go to Buffalo Trading Gun Store, you look for something that you don't have. 
My wife asks me all the time, why do we need a gun? Another gun. So because I don't have that one. <laughs> I need that one. <laughs> this is all free, folks, okay? Helping you guys out here, okay? So the point this morning is that wealth and money and buying things can mask spiritual needs. And yet this man knows that this question has not been answered for him. I don't know where I'm going to go when I die. I got this article. I, I Google. I don't know if I want to do much Googling anymore. But I found there's five ways that wealthy people are investing in trying to live forever. Five ways. I looked at this article. It's a very interesting article. I read the article. Wealthy people. I'm talking about the, the upper, I'm talking about the upper, upper crust. I mean, the people of the people. Okay, the, meat, the, the money behind that moves things. Here's what they do to try to stay and live forever. The ultra-wealthy, here's number one. Here's what they're doing. They're paying thousands of dollars to get young blood, okay, transfusions into their body. They're spending thousands, millions of dollars trying to stay young. Number two, they're spending $200,000 to have their brains, which they can probably put in a bottle. I mean, anyway, uh, their brains and their bodies preserved after they die. True. They're also paying thousands and millions of dollars for the possibility of uploading their brains to a digital consciousness one day. Tech billionaires are investing in colonizing space in preparation for the future where Earth may no longer be inhabitable. They're investing millions in properties with panic rooms and underground bunkers as apocalyptic insurance. See, pastors, and I ha- yes, it's happening. Absolutely it is. Why? They want to live. They want to live, and some want to live forever. So they live here in this very sophisticated, intellectually advanced society, and they're trying to get the age-old question, I want to live forever. How do I do it? And the only one that can give that answer is Jesus Christ. We can split atoms, but we can't figure this out. We can go to the moon, but we can't figure out how to live forever. We can harness the power of the sun and wind, rain, and can't figure out how to go to heaven. Or come up with other means of living forever. Back to the story. So he comes with the right attitude. He comes with the right question. And I can say this, and I think this is a very interesting point. He comes at the right time. Because there's only a short time Jesus is in town. I believe this, conviction, John chapter 6. There's a, there's a whole lot there about the Lord Jesus Christ, I mean, the Father, drawing you. You, you. you better not ignore the conviction of the Holy Spirit of God. Don't ignore when God woos you and moves you and touches that heart, says you're lost, you need to get saved. You don't, don't ignore that, if you would, that, that still small voice of conviction. What is he trying to do? He's trying to save you. He's trying to get you to salvation. But there is a sense in which this man is coming at the right time. Uh, he's running. He's coming, if you would, at the time that the Lord Jesus Christ is there. Good master. Good master. Oh, what shall I do? To inherit eternal life. And he says there's a very interesting word here. In Matthew 16, 19, 16, he says, what shall I do? Here, here's a, let me profile this guy. He's a, he's a list checker. You ever see those guys? They check the list off. Okay? He's a list checker. Okay? I read my Bible through in one year. Check it off. 
made a million dollars. I'm a millionaire. Check it off. Um, I did this. Check it. They're, 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 check, they're a list checker. You all with me? Yeah, list checker. They're just, well, when it comes to the spiritual, he says, you know what? I just got to check. Well, there's something else I got to do. Just let me do it. Give me the list and I'll do it. Give me that thing I have to do. There's a problem with this question in that he thinks that salvation can be somehow earned. In other words, if he's looking for something to do, it's a do-oriented salvation. I've got to do something. Uh, I, 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 I know it's not going to be just handed to me. I've got to be involved somehow. I've got to work for it. I've got to have some means of, of getting my own salvation. And he wants to earn it. He's got to do something. He's, maybe it's like I've got to join a church. Maybe I have to go down and get baptized in the Jordan River. Uh, maybe I'll start teaching my Sunday school class and preaching. Whatever it is, I've got to do it. It's a problem with that. You don't get salvation by doing anything with works. It's done. It's been done. Jesus declared that when he died on the cross. Number two problem with that is he thinks salvation is a reward. Salvation is not a reward for service. He doesn't look at you and say, oh, yo, you are in church on Sunday. I'm going to let you to heaven. You know what? I saw what you did on that bank teller and you returned that money that they falsely gave you. I'm going to, I'm going to chalk it up as a good deed and you're, you're going to go in. Nah. Terry Free was witnessing to a guy, and I just mentioned this in the last hour. I love Terry Freed and how he witnesses. Terry Freed asked some of the most simple questions in salvation that most preachers could just sit and listen to him and how he witnesses. Powerful. So he says, I, I got a chance to witness to a guy. I said, well, what happened? He says, well, I finished the bug job. I came and I got my gospel track out, as I always do. And I said, do you mind if I ask you a very personal question? And this guy said, well, no. I mean, that's fine. He says, personal. He says, oh, it's fine. Ask anything you want. He says, if you died today, are you 100% sure that you go to heaven? He says, without hesitation, this guy said, well, absolutely. Oh, yes. Going to heaven. He says, do you mind if I ask you another question? He says, it's personal. He says, Sure. He says, how do you know that? He says, without even answering the question, he says, come with me. And he walked into the house, down to the basement, and on the wall where there's 21 pictures of children, plaques, children on the wall. And he says, you see all these children? He says, yeah, that, they're beautiful kids. He says, I adopted every one of those kids. He says, and because I adopted all those kids, I can answer that question that we just answered up there. I'm going to heaven. Now, a Baptist preacher would say, okay, let's hit him with Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. Let's throw uh, Titus 3, 5 at them. But he doesn't do that. He actually is wise with his words. He said to the man, can I ask you another question? He says, sure. He says, how do you know 21 is enough? What if it's 22? took the legs out from underneath his belief system. He looked at him. He says, I don't know that. I don't know that. That's a good question. He says, well, in this gospel track, <laughs> let me show you how you can know for sure you're going to heaven. Do you realize this morning that there are people that think salvation is somehow rewarded? 
if I just do all these things, God will look at me and we have this idea that it's this big scale in heaven that if my, my good works outweigh all my bad works and he'll look at all my good works and all my bad works and let me in. Makes total sense. But it's not in the Bible. And now there's a confrontation. Because in the same text, he just asked about eternal life. And the Lord Jesus Christ starts to break down his theology. And he does it with two amazing questions. Watch what he says here. And Jesus said unto him, now watch this question. Why callest thou? You know when Jesus, he doesn't answer questions directly. There's a reason for that. He is going to ask a question that's going to provide him, this man, a way to think. Okay? Why callest thou me good? Why are you calling me good? And then he makes a statement. There is none good but one. That is God. So why are you calling me good? You know, it is to withdraw from him the fact that he is speaking to God. And so he's drilling this man and what he really thinks about this Jesus Messiah, this, this rabbi. Interesting question. He confronts him regarding the person of Jesus and reminds him that there's no good. Now, listen, there's no one good but God. Do you realize the progressive Christian movement takes that verse and begins to, as they are very good at doing, dismantling and presenting to you a different Jesus that is in the Bible, than is in the Bible? The progressive Christian movement, you, and I'm researching this and I'm doing some work on this because it's all over the mainstream denominations right now. United Methodist. United Church of Christ, all the mainstream, all the mainstream theological seminaries are teaching this progressive Christianity. You say, Pastor, is that really? Yes, it's absolutely. In in 10 years, in in, in less than 10 years, I think it's going to be basically taught that Jesus Christ was no more than you and I, a man, that became aware of the consciousness, of divine consciousness of God. They quote Old Testament, take Old Testament verses out of context about you being God's. And so they'll take a verse like this. There it is. He wasn't God. He wasn't. He was just a man. There only is one, 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 one as good as just God. But it was Jesus speaking. I read a story. I, one of you came up to me last week and said, did you hear a sermon called Jesus Repented? And I forget who it was. I have a sea of faces that I have to talk to a week. And I love it, but I don't remember who said it to me. But thank you. Because I took that, that phrase and I also looked up a sermon called Did Jesus Repent? And believe it or not, there's a lot of sermons out there on that very topic. And it's interesting. I read this one uh, sermon that was preached by a woman by the name of Leanne Rose at the UCC. I went on their website. And if you look at the website, ladies and gentlemen, please, I'm, I'm helping you this morning. Because if you ever go to a, a church, you, you ought to look at what they believe, not what they do. Please. Say, Pastor, I don't like your preaching. I'm going to go to X. Okay, fine. But if you go there, don't look at what they do. Look at what they believe. Because you look at the website, man, we've got food drives. We've got blood drives. We've got all kinds of people being helped. But then we get a sermon like this, and their whole doctrinal statement is in one little paragraph about taking care of the soil. And this woman preaches this message. I'm not going to read the whole message. 
Here's what it starts with. Now, I'm quoting. I love Jesus. Jesus is the reason I'm here today as a moderately viable human being. Without Jesus, I don't even like to think where I might have become. But Jesus had his moments. Like the one we heard today when Mr. Inclusive called the Canaanite woman a dog not worthy of the gospel. Ooh, Jesus, she quotes. That is like the time I gathered a person coming into the late worship service, quote, well, look what the cat drug in. Not a good moment, Jesus. You're not supposed to say things like that. I mean, you're supposed to be perfect, right? The perfect people don't call other people garbage-eating, egg-sucking scum, which is what a dog was considered in those days. She offers two scriptural references. She does not, by the way, she is an intern pastor in her early 20s. She does not get this by herself. She's been taught this. She quotes Matthew 15, 11. And then she also quotes where he spoke to Peter, do not call anything unclean that is clean. Now, Jesus goes to Canaan, not the Canaan to a Canaanite woman, not a canine, mind you. But a person, I'm, I'm reading, quoting, but a person of the land of Canaan, this Canaanite woman comes right up to Jesus and shouts to him, shouts like a person who doesn't expect to be paid any attention to, shouts like a person who expects to be ignored. Have mercy on me, Lord, son of David. My daughter is tormented by a demon. And just as she expects, Jesus treats her like she doesn't even exist. But the woman comes right up to him and kneels before him and keeps asking, Lord, help me. She, Jesus replies, it is not right to take the bread from the children and throw it to the dogs. Her quote, how humiliating, how intentionally mean-spirited. What a jerk. But the woman, I'm quoting, the woman takes Jesus' harsh, humiliating words and turns them around on him. You're right, Lord. But even the dogs get to eat the crumbs which fall from the master's table. This brings, up, this brings Jesus up short. And he, I can't even imagine hearing this sermon. And he hears what he has just said. And he sees how he has treated this woman of enormous, resilient faith. Now listen to this quote. And Jesus repents. Mr. Sinless, Mr. Perfect comes to himself and repents, end quote. Now, this is, by the way, this is all through mainstream theology seminaries now. If Jesus has to repent, he's a sinner. And if he is a sinner, he can't forgive sins. And if he can't forgive sins, we're going to hell. That he is a son of the living God. In fact, it says in John 4, 1 John 4, 1, Beloved, believe not every spirit, but try the spirits, whether they be are of God. Because many false prophets are gone out into the world. Verse 2. Hereby know ye the spirit of God. Every spirit that confesseth that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is of God. How do you try a spirit? You better listen to what they say about Jesus Christ. Because in every spirit that confesses not that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is not of God. And this is the spirit of the Antichrist. Wherefore, I have, ye have heard that it should come even now already 
It is in the world. We are close to the end days, ladies and gentlemen. The spirit of the Antichrist, the spirit of the doctrine of the Antichrist is all over. That's why the Bible says in 1 John 5, and this is the record that God has given us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. It is the only way to heaven, Jesus Christ. The progressive movement is doing everything they can to humanize Jesus Christ and remove his deity. So, back to the story. There's none good but God. Jesus is trying to get this man to see that he's a sinner, and he's talking to God. That's the question. Apparently, this young man believed that salvation was just something you just had to add on to what he's already doing. I was already doing all these things, but he was a sinner, and he has no ground upon which to stand before and face a holy God, and he knew that. And Jesus wants him to see that regardless, regardless of what he may possess and all these earthly goods, he is morally and spiritually bankrupt before a holy God, and he needs salvation through Christ. There's none good but God. Why you call me good? Hmm. As far as he's concerned, he's arrived. This is what I say becomes a defense for people's lack of understanding of salvation. I don't beat my wife. Um, I don't abuse my children. I don't run around. I don't drink. I don't uh, hurt anyone. I provide for my, I'm a pretty good person. And and when I compare my morality with that which is in the docket, I'm a pretty good person. I go to church. I'm religious. But this man's a sinner. And he's coming to Jesus Christ, not realizing that he's got the issue of sin. I've kept all these up. I'm done. I'm good. I've checked all those boxes. I've, I've honored my father, my mother. I've, he went through a list. I've got from my youth up. I've observed these things. But Jesus confronts him. Now, this is the clarification that God gives him. Now, this is interesting. When, well, listen, when you're getting someone to the point of salvation or getting someone to get the gospel, the question to ask, it's okay. If you died today, are you 100% sure that you go to heaven? Great question to ask. Great question. In fact, most people say no one can be 100% sure. Great lead question into the next question. Well, you can be, okay? But sometimes getting someone to the point where they're lost is difficult, okay? So we ask the question, when did you realize that you were a sinner and you were going to hell? Oh, Now, that is a question. I don't know that. And so what he is doing with this man, and he's getting down to the core. Watch what Jesus did. Verse 21. Verse 1. Then Jesus beholding. Let me stop, stop here. Before he even gets to this question or this, uh, this statement here, Jesus beholding him, watches, loved him. So watch this. Some of these just like to beat someone over the head with a Bible. We're good Bible thumpers, right? Okay? Well, we go and just slam them with a verse here or there. We don't love them. Are you all here this morning? I'm talking about Baptists here. We are notorious for being brutal. Okay? How about how Jesus looks at him and beholding him? What does that mean? He's looking at him. You're looking into the eyes of love. 
You're looking, you're looking into the eyes of the source of love. Those eyes. And beholding him, loved him. Now he's about to say something that's going to crumble everything that he believes. He is going to say something to this man that in just a few minutes, this man is going to walk away from. He's going to walk away from salvation. He is going to be sad. He is going to be grieving. And can I dare say, for the rest of his life. And Jesus knew it. Beholding him. Loved him. How about if we speak how Christ would want us to speak and care for people as he would want us to care for them and said unto him, one thing thou lackest. Oh, now this guy gets his notepad out, his iPad out, pulls out his handy dandy eye pencil and he is getting ready to take the one thing that he has to do. Oh, I knew you would help me. I knew this would be the place that I could get to because I've done everything else. I mean, I'm wealthy. I'm healthy. I've listened to Joel Olstein weekly for years. And he's helped me so much. And I knew I could get help from you. I knew it. Thank you. What is it? Hurry. Go thy way. Sell whatsoever thou hast. Give to the poor. Now, by this time right here, you can imagine he's not writing anymore. Thou shalt have treasure in heaven. Oh, he's one more thing. And come and take up the cross and follow me. Okay, let me get this right. You want me to take everything? Everything. Take it all. He said, I want you to sell it, but I just don't want you to sell it just to, to, to put it, you, know, you give it to the poor. All of it. Everything you have, just give it to the poor. Everything you have. Whew. And then the cross, uh, the cross thing. What about, well, it's the cross, it's you take that cross up and follow. But the, the, the cross is a crucifixion, is a symbol of Romans crucifixion. You take, take up the cross, yes, and then follow me. Wow. Sell it all. And by the way, that's the gospel today. I'm not saying you sell all your wealth to go to heaven, but you all want to. What he does with this guy, he drills in on what he wants more than salvation. When you got saved... When you accepted Christ as Savior, you wanted nothing else but Jesus Christ. You weren't, listen, you weren't adding Jesus Christ to another system of beliefs for salvation. You were coming to him broke. You were coming to him spiritually bankrupt. You you said to the Lord, I'm done with my life. I'm done with my plans. I'm done with my religiousity. I want you and you only. That's salvation. He's not a cosmic buddy. You come to Jesus, you hang on to everything you love in this world too, is not the gospel. Are you all here this morning? In other words, say, Pastor, is it wrong for me to have things? No. 
but you ought not to want those things more than Jesus Christ. For some reason, the Holy Spirit brings this illustration up to me again. I don't know why I'm saying this. Terry Free was witnessing to a fellow who was living in sin. Living in sin with his uh, girlfriend. It was a door-knocking situation. Gives him the gospel. And he says, would you like to accept Christ as your Savior? The kid says, uh, I don't think so. He said, well, why? Um, That means I would have to stop having I'll use the word immorality with my girlfriend. I I don't want to stop that. He says, so let me get this right. You know that if you died, you're going to go to hell. Yes, sir. And you're willing to go to hell to continue living in sin with her. He says, yeah. Terry Free said, She has got to be one of the most beautiful women in the entire world. I've got to meet her. Well, she is pretty. Left with this man knowing salvation was free gift, but he wasn't willing to give up the sin to come to Jesus Christ. Take up the cross. You want to follow me? It's going to cost you. Say, Pastor, you're trying to add to salvation. Absolutely not. There is a measure of repentance that we have not preached in church where people have just come to this idea. I prayed this. I prayed that prayer. I've done that. This. Listen, I did that thing, and we've missed. And we're giving people a false narrative of salvation. And this man made a decision. You know what he did? He inventoried all that he has. He thought about the gun collection. He thought about the cars. Thought about all the things that he had. And Noreen, I could imagine him coming home that day. His wife, his wife if he's a young wife, I don't know, a single man. I don't know if he's married. I don't know what this is say. But you ain't going to believe what happened today. Well, what? You were just rushed out of here when you heard about that Jesus. Yes. You know what? I went over to him and I asked him about going to heaven. You know, I've talked about this with you. Yeah. What what, what did he say? (laughs) He wants me. Listen to this, honey. He wants me to sell everything, my 401k, everything we have, and just give to the poor. Then I got to pick up this cross and follow him. Well, what are you going to do? I'm not going to do that. Do you realize this guy made an earthly decision? He went from his early 20s to his early 30s, and then from the 30s to the 40s, and way into the 50s. And then he hit 60 and 61 and 62 and 65 and 70, and then 71. Started not feeling all that good. Got grandkids now, Brother Will. 
They come over and play on the four-wheelers. He's not the young man anymore. He's got a lot of money. 72 and 73 were a rough year, most likely, for him. Medical bills were piling up. Diabetes was hitting his body. 78, 79, he mostly just stays home. Kids come over and see him. He went on for another five, six, I'm hypothetically speaking here. It doesn't say any of this in the Bible. He gets into his 80s. Grandpa just sits and watches TV all day. Mom, what's wrong with him? That's just how, why does he act like that? Hospice was called in. And I could imagine him thinking to himself, when I was a young man, I had the opportunity to sell everything that I had and follow that Messiah. I didn't do it. Two words describe his condition, sad and grieved. Can I just say that? This man was most likely a very irritable, sad, grieving man for his entire life. To look back at your life and say, I just blew it. I messed up. It could have been different. But he made an earthly decision, and that earthly decision cost him eternal life because it was eternal decision. And friends, listen, what you do with Jesus in this life will determine what Jesus does with you in the afterlife. If you're not saved, you're going to go to hell. There's no way I can make that a very flowery statement. I can't say enough words to say, Oh, there's no easy way to put it. You die without Jesus Christ, you split hell wide open, and you burn forever. But if you die in Christ, with Christ, you have eternal life in heaven. He walked away. Did it cost him? Probably not much in earthly terms. Hey, after the crucifixion. You, you, you talk to that guy that got crucified. You know what? They got him in the grave here. This is the second day. They all say he's going to raise again from the grave. You talk to him. What did he say to you? You know what? He was nuts. He was crazy. He wanted me to sell everything and follow him. I knew he was a fraud. I knew it. That's why I walked away. But then the resurrection. Oh, now can you imagine this? He's out of the grave. He's not in the grave? No. Has anybody seen him? Yeah, over 500 people. Really? Yeah. And they just said that he just ascended into heaven a few minutes ago. Oh. Listen. One thing that thou lackest. Just one thing kept him out of heaven. One thing. And friend, if you don't have time for Jesus Christ, now is never a guarantee you'll have Time for Jesus Christ tomorrow or next week. Now is the accepted time. Now is the day of salvation. It's your choice.